Disc 3 Chapter 12 Very Suspicious The children, with the two dogs barking excitedly, ran to the other, seaward side of the island. Great rocks lay out there, and the sea splashed over them. There it is! A motorboat! cried Dick. They all stood and watched the boat, riding over the sea at a very fast speed. Where are the glasses? Did we bring them with us? said Julian. I'd like to focus them on the boat and see if I can read the name, or even see the men in it. But the glasses had been left behind at Kirin Cottage. What a pity! They must have anchored their motorboat out there and somehow clambered inshore over the rocks, said George. It's a dangerous thing to do if you don't know the best way. Yes, and if they came last night, as I think they must have done, because I'm sure now it was the engine of the motorboat that I heard, said Anne. Well, if they came last night, they must have clambered to the shore in the dark. I wonder they managed it. It must have been the light of a lantern or a torch you saw on the island in the night, said Julian. They probably didn't want to be seen arriving on the island, and that's why they went to the other side, the seaward side. I wonder if they were men spying to find out if Berta is with us or not. Let's snoop around a bit more and see if we can find anything else, said Anne. The motorboat is almost out of sight now. They went back to the other side of the island. Berta looked with awe at the old castle in the middle. Jackdaws circled round a tower, calling loudly, Jack, Jack, Jack! Once upon a time, my castle had strong walls all round it, said George, and there were two great towers. One's almost in ruins, as you can see, but the other is fairly good. Come right into the castle. Berta followed the others in, struck dumb with awe, to think that this island and this wonderful old ruined castle belonged to George. How very, very lucky she was. She went through a great doorway and found herself in a dark room with stone walls enclosing it. Two narrow, slit-like windows brought in all the light there was. It's... Strange and old and mysterious, said Berta, half to herself. It's asleep and dreaming of the old days when people lived here. It doesn't like us being here. Wake up, said Dick. You look quite dopey. Berta shook herself and looked round again. Then she went on through the castle and looked at other rooms, some without roofs, some without one or two of their walls. It's a honey of a castle, she said to George. A real honey. Wonderful. Wonderful. They wandered all round, showing the awe-struck Berta everything. We'll show you the dungeons too, said George, very pleased to be impressing Berta so much. Dungeons? You've got dungeons too? Oh, of course you told me about them, said Berta. Dungeons, you don't say. My, my, I'll never forget this afternoon. As they walked over the old courtyard, Timmy suddenly growled and stood still, his tail down, the hackles on his neck rising. 
everyone automatically stood still too. What is it, Tim? asked George in a whisper. Timmy's nose was pointing towards the little harbour where they had left their boat. There must be someone there, said Dick. Don't say they're going off with our boat. George gave a scream. Her boat? Her precious boat? She set off at top speed with Timmy bounding in front. Come back, George! There may be danger! shouted Julian. But George didn't listen. She ran over the rocks that led down to the little harbour beach and then stopped still in surprise. Two policemen were walking up the sandy beach. Their boat was drawn up beside George's. They saluted her and grinned. Afternoon, George. What are you doing on my island? demanded George, recognising them. Why have you come here? Someone reported suspicious people on the island, said the first policeman. Who did? said George. Nobody knew about it but us. I bet I know who reported it, said Dick suddenly. Joanna did. She didn't like us going off by ourselves. She said we ought to telephone the police. That's right, said the policeman. So we came to see for ourselves. Found anyone? Julian took command then and related how they had first seen the cigarette ends and then heard the motorboat starting up and had gone to see it roaring away from the island. Ah, said the policeman profoundly. Ah. What do you mean? Ah, asked Dick. Fred here heard a motorboat somewhere in the bay in the night, said the first man. What was it doing there, I'd like to know. So would we, said Julian. We saw someone on the island looking through binoculars at the beach this morning. This brought forth two more R's, and the policemen exchanged glances. Good thing you've got a couple of dogs with you, said the one called Fred. Well, we'll just have a bit of a look round, and then we'll go back on our beats again. And mind you, ring us up next time anything turns up, George, see? Off they went together, looking closely at the ground. They found the cigarette ends and picked them up. Then on they went again. Let's go back, said George in a low voice. It spoils things if other people are on the island. I don't want to have a picnic here now. We'll go off in the boat somewhere and have a picnic tea in a cove. So they dragged the boat down to the water and jumped in. Sally was very pleased to be back in the boat and ran from end to end, wagging her stiff tail in delight. Timmy followed her up and down and got in everyone's way. How can I row if you keep on jumping over me, Timmy? complained Dick. Sally, you're just as bad. Berta, are you all right? You look a bit green. It's only excitement and the bumpy bit past the rocks, said Berta anxious not to appear seasick in front of the others. I'll be all right as soon as we get on to calm waters. But she wasn't. So it was regretfully decided that they must row to the shore. They had a lazy tea on the beach, and Berta recovered enough to join in heartily. Anyone got room for an ice cream? asked Anne. Because if so, I'll stroll down to the shops and get some. I want to buy a new pair of shoelaces too. One of mine broke this morning. Everyone appeared to have room for an ice cream, so Anne set off with Sally, who wanted to come with her. 
She went to the drapers and got the laces, and then went to the tea shop that sold ices. Seven, please, she said. The girl in the shop smiled. Seven? You used to ask for five. Yes, I know, but we've got someone staying with us, and another dog, explained Anne. And both dogs like ice creams. That reminds me, someone was in my shop yesterday asking about your uncle, said the girl. He said he knew him. He wanted to know how many children were staying at Kieran Cottage, and I thought only the four of you were there, and Timmy, of course. He seemed surprised and said, surely there was another girl. Good gracious, said Anne, startled. Did he really? How inquisitive. What did you say then? I just said there were two boys and a girl, and a girl who liked to dress as a boy, said the girl. Anne was glad to think the shop girl hadn't known about Berta. What was the man like? she asked. Quite ordinary, said the girl, trying to remember. He wore dark glasses, like so many visitors do in the bright sun. I noticed he had a large gold ring on his finger when he paid my bill. That's all I can remember. Well, if anyone else asks you about us, just say we've got a friend staying with us called Leslie, said Anne. Goodbye. She went off at top speed, anxious to tell the others. The man in the tea shop must have been one of those who had gone to the island to watch the beach. He might have been staring at the five of them as they had played together. He must be one of the men now in the motorboat. Anne didn't like it, and it made her feel very uneasy. She told the others what the shop girl had said as they sat in the sand and ate their ice creams. Timmy gobbled his almost at once and sat patiently watching Sally deal with hers, hoping that she would leave some. All the four listened intently to Anne's little story. That settles it, said Dick. Those men are certainly snooping round, trying to find out if Leslie is here. They are getting uncomfortably close, said Julian. Still, your uncle and aunt come back tomorrow, said Berta. We'll tell them, and maybe they'll have some good plan. I hope those men don't know that they are away, said Dick uneasily. I think we'll have to keep a pretty close watch from now on. I wonder if Berta ought to stay on here with us. See what father says tomorrow, said George. So it was decided that nothing should be done except to keep a sharp lookout until George's parents came back. They all went back rather soberly to Kirin Cottage and told Joanna what had happened on the island. You telephoned the police, Joanna, said Dick, shaking his finger at her. I did, and I was right to, said Joanna. And what's more, Leslie's bed is going to be moved away from the window tonight, and the window's going to be fastened, even if we melt, and the door will be locked. I'll lend you Timmy, too, if you like, said George. He can sleep in the room with Sally. He ought to be safe then. She really only meant it as a joke, but to her surprise, Joanna accepted at once. Thank you, she said. I'd be glad of Timmy. I feel all of a dither left on my own like this and kidnappers closing in on us. Julian laughed. Oh, it's not so bad as that, Joanna. Only one more night and Uncle Quentin and Aunt Fanny will be back. 
Oh, I quite forgot to tell you, said Joanna. A letter's arrived. They're staying away a whole week. That's why I feel so scared. A week? Well, a lot can happen in a week. Chapter 13 A Horrid Shock Julian was not very happy to hear that his aunt and uncle were staying away for a week. He picked up the letter. It was addressed to George, but Joanna had opened it. Not returning for a week, it said. Complications have arisen. Hope all goes well. Love from mother. There was no address. How annoying. Now Julian couldn't even let them know that he was feeling uneasy. He made up his mind to guard Berta every minute. Thank goodness they had Timmy. Nobody would dare to do any kidnapping under Timmy's eye. He thought it was a good idea to put Timmy in Joanna's room that night with Berta. In fact, if George would agree, it would be best to do that each night. He thought it would not be wise to ask George now, though, because he could see she was half sorry she had made the offer to Joanna. Julian was quite fussy that evening. He insisted on the blinds being drawn when they sat down to play cards after their supper. He would not let Berta take Sally out for a run, but took her himself, watching for any strange person as he went down the lane. You're making me feel quite scared, said Anne with a laugh. Oh, Ju, it's so hot in this room. Do let's have the blind up for a few minutes and let some air in. I shall begin to sizzle if we don't. Timmy would soon growl if there was anyone outside. All right, said Julian, and drew up the blind. It was dark outside now, and the light streamed out. That's better, said Anne, mopping her wet forehead. Now, whose turn is it? Yours, George. They sat round the table, playing. Julian and Berta sat side by side, as Julian was helping her in a new game of cards. She looked exactly like a very earnest little boy, with her straight, close-cut fair hair. George sat opposite the window, with Dick on one side of her, and Anne on the other. "'Your turn, Dick,' said George. "'Do buck up. You're slow tonight.' She sat and waited looking out of the window into the darkness. Then suddenly she slammed down her cards and leapt up, shouting. Everyone jumped almost out of their skins. What is it? What is it, George? cried Julian. Out there! Look! A face! I saw a face peeping in at us! The light of the window just caught it! Timmy! Timmy, quick, go after him! But Timmy wasn't there, nor was Sally. George called frantically again. Timmy! Come here quickly! Oh, blow him! That fellow will get away! Tim! Timmy came bounding up the hall and into the sitting room, barking. Sally followed behind. Where were you, idiot? cried George furiously. Jump out of the window! Go on! Chase him! Find him! Timmy leapt out of the window, and Sally tried to do the same, but couldn't. She barked and yelped, trying again and again to jump out. Joanna came running in, panic-stricken, wondering what was happening. Listen, said Julian suddenly. Shut up, Sally. Listen. They were all suddenly quiet. Sally, too. 
There was the sound of a car being revved up down the lane, and then the sound died down as the car sped away. He's got away, whoever he was, said Dick, and sat down suddenly. Gosh, I feel as if I'd been running a mile. You nearly scared the life out of me when you slammed down your cards like that, George, and yelled in my ear. Timmy leapt in at the window at that moment, and Dick almost jumped out of his skin again. So did everyone else, including Sally, who fled behind the sofa in panic. What's all this about? said Joanna, quite fiercely. Really? George was in a tearing rage, with Timmy of all things. She shouted at the surprised dog, and he put his tail down at once. Where were you? Why did you slink out of the room into the kitchen? How dare you leave me and go off like that, just when we needed you? I'm ashamed of you, Timmy. You could have caught that fellow easily. Oh, don't, said Berta, almost in tears. Poor Timmy. Don't, George. Then George turned on Berta. You just let me scold my own dog if he needs it. And you go and scold yours too. I bet Timmy followed your horrid little woolly pet out into the kitchen. It was her fault, not his. Shut up, George, said Julian. Your temper gets us nowhere. Calm down and let's hear what you saw. Calm down, I say. George stared at him, about to retort with something defiant. Then Timmy gave a small whimper. His heart was almost broken to hear George. George, his beloved mistress, rave at him in such anger. He had no idea what he had done to displease her. The whimper brought George to her senses. Oh, Timmy, she said, and knelt down and flung her arms round his neck. I didn't mean to shout at you. I was so angry because we missed our chance of getting that man who was peeping in at us. Oh, Timmy, it's all right. It really is. Timmy was extremely glad to hear it. He licked George lavishly and then lay down by her very soberly. He wished he knew what all the excitement was about. So did Joanna. She thumped on the table to get everyone's attention and at last got Julian to explain everything to her. She stared out of the window, half thinking that she could see faces in the darkness outside. She drew the blind down sharply. We'll go to bed, she said. All of us. I don't like this. I shall ring up the police and warn them. Leslie, you come with me straight away now. I think perhaps you're right, Joanna said Julian. I'll lock up everywhere. Come on, girls. Timmy was astonished and upset to find himself handed over to Joanna and Berta. Was George still cross with him then? It was a very, very long time since he had slept away from her at night. He cheered up a little when he saw that Sally was going to be with him and trotted rather mournfully up the attic stairs to Joanna's room. Joanna soon got Berta into bed and then undressed herself. She fastened the window and locked the door. She gave Timmy a rug in a corner and Sally jumped onto Berta's bed as usual. Now we ought to be quite safe, said Joanna, and settled creakingly into her bed. On the floor below, the two boys followed the same procedure and so did Anne and George. Doors were locked 
and windows fastened, though it was a hot night, and they were all sure they would be melted by the morning. George couldn't bear to think of Timmy with Bertha and Joanna, especially as she had been so very cross with him. She lay in bed, full of remorse. Dear, kind, faithful Timmy, how could she have shouted at him like that? Do you suppose Timmy is feeling very upset, she said, when she and Anne were in bed. A bit, perhaps, said Anne, but dogs are very forgiving. I know, that somehow makes it worse, said George. Well, you really shouldn't get into such tempers, said Anne, seizing the opportunity to tell George a few home truths. I thought you were getting over the tantrums you used to have. But these holes you've been pretty bad. Because of Berta, I suppose. I wish I could go up and say goodnight to Timmy, George began again after a few minutes' silence. Oh, for goodness sake, George, said Anne sleepily. Do be sensible. You can't go and bang on Joanna's door and ask for Timmy. You'd scare them to death. Anne fell asleep, but George didn't. Then suddenly she heard the sound of a door being unlocked and sat up. It sounded as if it came from the attic. Was it Joanna unlocking her door? What did she want? A cautious little knock came at George's door. Who is it? said George. Me, Joanna, said Joanna's voice. I brought Sally down, George. Timmy keeps trying to get up on Berta's bed to be with Sally and she simply can't go to sleep. Her camp bed is too small to hold all three of them. So will you have Sally, please? Oh, blow, said George, and went to open her door. How's Timmy? she said in a low voice. All right, said Joanna. He'll be annoyed I've taken Sally away. I'm glad to have him up there tonight with all these goings on. Is he? Is he happy, Joanna? asked George but Joanna had turned away and didn't hear. George sighed. Why had she offered to let Joanna and Berta have Timmy tonight of all nights when she had scolded him so unfairly? Now she had to have this silly little Sally instead. Sally whimpered. She didn't like being away from Berta and she was not fond of George. She wriggled out of George's arms and ran round the room still whimpering. Anne woke up with a jump. Whatever's going on, she said. Why, it's Sally in the room. How did she get here? George told her, sounding very cross. Well, I hope she'll settle down, said Anne. I don't want her to whimper and run round the bedroom all night long. But Sally wouldn't settle down. Her whimpering became louder, and when she took a flying jump onto George's bed and landed right on George's middle. The girl had had enough of it. She sat up and spoke in a fierce whisper. You little idiot! I'm jolly going to take you downstairs and put you into Timmy's kennel. Good idea, said Anne sleepily. George picked up the lively little poodle and went out of the room, shutting the door softly. Anne promptly went to sleep again. George crept down the stairs and went to the garden door. She undid it and walked out in dressing gown and pyjamas, her curly hair all tousled, carrying the whimpering little dog. Suddenly, she felt Sally stiffen in her arms 
and growl. George stood quite still. What had Sally heard? Then things happened very suddenly indeed. A torch was flashed in her face, and before she could cry out, a cloth was thrown over her head so that she could not make a sound. This is the one, said a low voice, the one with curly hair. And this is her dog, the poodle. Put him in that kennel, quick, before he barks the place down. Sally, too scared even to growl, was pushed into the kennel and the door shut on her. George, struggling and trying vainly to call out, was lifted off her feet and carried swiftly down to the front gate. The garden door swung creaking to and fro in the night wind. Sally whimpered in her kennel, but no one heard either door or dog. Everyone in Kirin Cottage was sound asleep. Chapter 14 Where is George? Next morning, about half past seven, Joanna went downstairs as usual. Berta was awake and decided to fetch Sally from George's bedroom. She put on her dressing gown and padded downstairs, with Timmy behind her, to George's room on the floor below. The door was shut and she knocked gently. Come in, said Anne's sleepy voice. Oh, it's you, Berta. Yes, I've come for Sally, said Berta. Hello, where's George? Anne looked at the empty bed beside hers. I don't know. The last thing I heard of her was in the middle of the night when we got cross because Sally wouldn't settle down and George said she would take her down to the kennel. Oh, well, probably George has gone down to fetch her back, said Berta. I'll go up and dress. It's a heavenly morning again. Are you going to bathe before breakfast? Because if so, I'll just put on my swimsuit. Yes, I think we might today. We're nice and early said Anne, scrambling out of bed. Go and wake the boys. Timmy, go down and find George. Dick and Julian were awake and quite ready for a before-breakfast bathe. Anne joined them as they went downstairs. Berta had already gone down and had discovered Sally in the kennel, most excited to see her. She pranced round, barking happily. Timmy came up to the children, looking puzzled. He had hunted everywhere for George and hadn't found her. Woof, he said to Anne. Woof, woof. It was just as if he were saying, Please, where is George? Haven't you found George yet? said Anne in surprise. She called to Joanna. Joanna, where's George? Has she gone down to bathe already? I haven't seen her, said Joanna. But I expect she has, because the garden door was open when I came down, and I guess one of you had gone for an early bathe. Well, George must be down on the beach then, said Anne, feeling rather puzzled. Why hadn't George woken her and told her to come too? Soon all four were on the beach with the two dogs. Sally, very happy to be with Bertha again, and Timmy, very downcast and puzzled. He stood staring up the beach and down, looking quite lost. I can't see George anywhere, said Dick, suddenly feeling scared. She's not in the sea. They all gazed over the water, but no one was bathing that morning. Anne turned to Julian in sudden panic. 
Jew? Where is she? I wish I knew, said Julian anxiously. She's not here, and she hasn't gone out in her boat. It's over there. Let's go back to the house. I don't think George would have gone for an early bathe without telling me, said Anne. And I also think I would surely have woken up just for a moment when she came back after taking Sally down. Oh, Julian, I think something happened when she went downstairs with Sally late last night. I've been thinking that too, said Julian soberly. We know that there was someone about last night because George saw a face outside the window. Let's go back to the house and see if we can spot anything to help us near the garden door or the kennel. They went back, looking very anxious. As soon as they began to look about near the kennel, Anne gave an exclamation and bent down. She picked up something and held it out to the others without a word. What is it? Gosh, it's the belt off George's dressing gown, said Dick, startled. That proves it. George was caught when she came down to put Sally into her kennel. They must have thought she was me said Bertha in tears. You see, she was carrying Sally, and they know Sally belongs to me, and she has short hair too, and dresses like a boy in the daytime. That's it, said Julian. Actually, you look like a boy in your boy's things, but George doesn't, and the kidnappers are looking for a girl dressed as a boy, and George fitted the bill nicely, especially as she had the poodle with her. She's been kidnapped. And will my father get the usual note to say his daughter will not be harmed if he does what the kidnappers want and hands over this new secret? said Bertha. Sure to, said Julian. What will they say when they know they've got George, not me? asked Bertha. Well, said Julian, considering, I don't really know. They might try the same thing with Uncle Quentin but of course he hasn't got the figures they want. What about Berta now? asked Dick. Once those men find they've got the wrong girl, they'll be after Berta in a trice. George won't tell them, said Anne at once. She'll know that Berta would be in immediate danger if she did tell them, so she'll say nothing as long as she can. Would she really? said Berta wonderingly. She's brave, isn't she? She could get herself set free at once if she said she wasn't me and proved it. Gee, she's wonderful if she could do a thing like that. George is brave, all right, said Dick. As brave as anything when she's in a fix. Julian, let's go and tell Joanna. We've got to make up our minds what we are going to do about this. And also, we must safeguard Berta somehow. She can't possibly wander round with us any more. Berta, all at once, began to feel scared. George's sudden disappearance had brought home to her the very real danger she was in. She had not really believed in it before. She looked over her shoulder and all around and about, as if she expected someone to pounce on her. It's all right, Berta. There's no one here at present, said Dick, comfortingly. But you'd better get indoors all the same. I don't think George would give away the fact that she wasn't you, but the men might find out some other way, and back they would come, hot foot. Berta raced indoors, as if someone was chasing her. 
Julian shut and locked the garden door and called Joanna. They had a very serious conference indeed. Joanna was horrified. She wept when she heard that George must have been kidnapped in the middle of the night. She wiped her eyes with her apron. I said we must lock the doors and the windows. I said we must tell the police. And then George has to go down all by herself into the garden, she said. If only she hadn't had the poodle with her. No wonder they thought she was Berta with Sally in her arms. Listen, Joanna, said Julian. There are a lot of things to do. First, we must tell the police. Then somehow we must contact Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin. It's so like them not to give us an address. Then we must most certainly decide about Berta. She must be well hidden away somewhere. Yes, that's certain, said Joanna, wiping her eyes again. She sat and thought for a minute, and then her face lightened. I know where we could hide her, she said. You remember Joe, the little traveller girl you've had one or two adventures with? Yes, said Julian. She lives with your cousin now, doesn't she? She does, said Joanna. And my cousin would have Berta straight away if she knew about this. She lives in a quiet little village where nothing ever happens. And nobody would think anything of my cousin having a child to stay with Joe. She often does. It really seems an idea, said Dick. Doesn't it, Julian? We've simply got to get Berta away at once. We could trust Joe to look after her too. Joe's as sharp as a packet of needles. The police would know too, said Julian. And we'll keep an eye on her as well. Joanna, can you ring up and get a taxi and take Berta now, this very minute? It'll be a surprise for my cousin, my arriving this time of the morning, said Joanna, standing up and taking off her apron. But she's quick on the uptake, and she'll do it, I know. Leslie, get a few things together. Nothing posh, mind, like your silver hairbrush. Berta looked extremely scared by now, and was inclined to refuse to go. Julian put his arm round her. Look, he said, I bet George is holding her tongue so that we can get you away in safety before the men tumble to the fact that they've got the wrong boy. So you can play up too, can't you, and be brave? Yes, said Berta, looking up at Julian's kind, serious face. I'll do what you say. But what's this Joe like? Joanna said she was a little traveller girl. I might not like her. You'll like this one all right, said Julian. She's a pickle and a scamp and a scallywag, but her heart's in the right place, isn't it, Joanna? Joanna nodded. She had always been fond of the reckless, cheeky little Joe, and it was she who had found a home for her when Joe's father had had to go to prison. Come on, Leslie, she said. We must hurry. Julian. Is she to go as a girl or a boy now? We've got to decide that too. A girl, please, please, a girl, said Berta at once. Julian considered. Yes, I think you're right, he said. You'd better be a girl now, but for goodness sake, don't call yourself Berta yet. She can be Jane, said Joanna firmly. That's a nice name, but quite ordinary enough for nobody to notice. Berta is too noticeable a name. Come along now. 
will have to pick out your simplest clothes. Now, I'll ring up the police, said Julian, and also ring for a taxi. No, don't get a taxi for us, said Joanna. I don't want to arrive at my cousin's little cottage in a taxi and make everyone stare. Jane and I will catch the market bus and people will think I'm off to market. We can get another bus there that will take us almost all the way to my cousin's. We've only to walk down the lane then. Good idea, said Julian, and went to the telephone. He got hold of the police sergeant and told his tale. The man showed not the least excitement, but took down quickly all that Julian told him. I'll be up in ten minutes, he said. Wait in till I come. Julian put down the receiver. Dick and Anne were watching him with troubled eyes. What was happening to George? Was she frightened? Or furious? Or perhaps hurt? Timmy was absolutely miserable. He knew by now that something had happened to George. He had gone a dozen times to the place where her dressing gown belt had been found and had sniffed round disconsolately. Sally knew he was unhappy and trotted after him soberly. When he lay down, she lay down beside him. When he got up, she got up too. It would have been amusing to watch if anyone had felt like being amused, but nobody felt that way. Footsteps came up the path. The police, said Julian. They've not been long. Chapter 15 Discoveries in the Wood The sergeant had come, and also a constable. Anne felt comforted when she saw the big, solid, responsible-looking men. Julian took them into the sitting-room and began to tell all that had happened. In the middle of it, there came the sound of footsteps racing down the stairs and up the hall. "'We're just off!' shouted Joanna's voice. "'Can't stop to say goodbye or we shall miss the bus!' Down the garden path rushed Joanna, carrying a small suitcase of her own, which she had lent Berta, because Berta's was too grand. In it, she had packed the very simplest of Berta's clothes, but secretly she had thought that she would tell her cousin to dress Berta in some of Joe's things. Berta ran behind her. A different Berta now, dressed in a dress instead of shorts and jersey. She waved to the others as she went, trying to smile. Good old Berta, said Dick. She's got quite a lot in her, that kid. In fact, she's quite a honey, said Julian, trying to make Anne smile. What's all that? said the sergeant in surprise, nodding his head towards the front path, down which Joanna and Berta had just rushed. Julian explained. The sergeant frowned. You shouldn't have arranged about that till you'd consulted us, he said. Julian was quite taken aback. Well, you see, he said, it seemed to me that I must get Berta out of the house and hidden away at once in case the kidnappers realised quickly that they'd got the wrong girl. That's so, said the sergeant. Still, you should have consulted us. It seems quite a good idea to put her in that quiet village with Joe to see to her. She's sharp, that Joe. I wouldn't put it past her to hoodwink the kidnappers any day. But this is a very serious business, you realise, Julian. It can't be dealt with by children. 
Can you get George back? asked Anne, breaking in with the question she had been longing to ask ever since the police came. Maybe, said the sergeant. Now I'll get in touch with your aunt and uncle, Julian, and with Mr. Elber Wright, and... The telephone rang just then, and Anne answered it. It's for you, sergeant, she said, and he took the receiver from her. Ah, hmm, just so. Yes, yes, right. Ah, hmm. The sergeant replaced the receiver and went back to Julian and the others. News has just come in that the kidnappers have contacted Mr. Elber Wright and told him they've got his daughter, Berta, he said. Oh, and have they demanded that he shall tell them the secret figures he knows? asked Julian. The sergeant nodded. Yes, he's almost off his head with shock. He's promised to give them all they want. <sighs> Very foolish. Gosh, You'd better tell him it's not Berta they've got, but George, said Dick. Then he'll sit tight. The sergeant frowned. Now, you leave this to us, he said ponderously. You'll only hinder us if you interfere or try meddling on your own. You just sit back and take things easy. What? With George kidnapped and in danger? exploded Dick. What are you going to do to get her back? Now, now, said the sergeant, annoyed. She is in no danger. She's not the person they want. They will free her as soon as they realise that. They won't, said Dick. They'll get on to her father and make him give up a few secrets. Well, that will give us a little more time to find these men, said the irritating sergeant. And he stood up big and burly in his navy blue uniform. Let me know at once if you have any other news, and please do not try to meddle. I assure you that we know the right things to do. He went out with the constable. Julian groaned. He doesn't see that this is urgent. It's so complicated, too. The wrong girl kidnapped, the wrong father informed, the right one not at all inclined to give up powerful secrets, and poor old George not knowing what is happening. Well, thank goodness we got Berta out of the way, said Dick. Anne, you look funny. Are you all right? Yes, I think I'm just shocked, and, oh dear, I feel awfully empty, said Anne, pressing her tummy. Gosh, we forgot all about breakfast said Dick, staring at the clock. And it's almost ten o'clock now. What have we been doing all this time? Come on, Anne, get us some food, there's a dear. We shall all feel better then. I'm so sorry for poor old Timmy and little Sally, said Anne, going into the kitchen. Oh, Timmy, darling, don't look at me like that. I don't know where your beloved George is, or I'd take you to her straight away. And Sally... You will have to put up with me for a little while, because although I do know where Berta is, I can't possibly take you there. They were soon sitting down to a plain breakfast of boiled eggs, toast and butter. It seemed strange only to be three. Dick tried to make conversation, but the other two were very quiet. 
Timmy sat under the table with his head on Anne's foot, and Sally stood beside her, paws on her knee. Anne comforted both the mournful dogs as best she could. After breakfast, Anne went to wash up and make the beds, and the boys went outside to have another look at the place where George's dressing gown belt had been found. Sally and Timmy came with them. Timmy sniffed around a good bit, and then, nose to ground, went down the garden path to the front gate, and then pushed it open and went through it. Nose to ground, he went down the lane and turned off into a little path. Dick, he's following some kind of trail, said Julian. I'm certain it's George's. Even if somebody carried her away, Timmy is clever enough to know George might be with him. He might just get a whiff of her. Come on, let's follow Timmy, said Dick. And the boys and Sally went along the little path hot on Timmy's track. Timmy began to run, and Dick called to him. Not so fast, old boy. We're coming too. But Timmy did not slow down. Whatever it was he smelt, the scent was quite strong. The boys ran after him, beginning to feel excited. But soon Timmy came to a full stop in a little clearing in the wood. Dick and Julian panted up to where he was nosing around. He looked up at them forlornly. Evidently, the scent came to an end there. Car tracks, said Dick, pointing down to where the dampish grass under a great oak tree had been rutted with big tyre marks. See? The men brought a car here and hid it, then crept through the woods to Kirin Cottage and waited for a chance to get Berta. They got George instead. But they wouldn't have got anyone if only George hadn't been ass enough to take Sally to the kennel. The house was well and truly locked and bolted. Julian was looking at the wheel tracks. These tracks were made by very big tyres, he said. It was a car, and I rather think these are American tyre marks. I can check that when I get back. I'll go and ask Jim at the local garage. He'll know. I'll just sketch one quickly. He took out a notebook and pencil and began to sketch. Dick bent down and looked more carefully at the tracks. There is quite a lot of crisscrossing of tracks, he said. I think the men came here and waited. Then, when they got George, they must have pushed her into the car and turned it to go back the way they came. See, the tracks lead down that wide path over there. They made a mess of the turning, though. Bumped into this tree. Look, there's a mark right across it. Where? said Julian at once. Yes, a bright blue mark. The car was that colour, or the wings were at any rate. Well, that's something we've learnt. A big blue car, probably American. Surely the police could trace that. Timmy's still nosing round the picture of misery, said Dick. Poor old Tim. I expect he knows George was pushed into a car just there. Hello. He's scraping at something. They ran to see what it was. Timmy was trying to get at some small object embedded in a car rut. Evidently, in turning, the car had run over whatever it was. Dick saw something broken in half, something green. He picked up the halves. A comb, 
Did George have a little green comb like this? Yes, she did, said Julian. She must have thrown it down when she got near to the car. To show us she was taken here, hoping we would find it. And look, what's that? It was a handkerchief hanging on a gorse bush. Julian ran to it. It had the initial G on it in blue. Yes, it's George's, he said. She's got six of these, all with different coloured initials. She must have thrown this out too. Quick, Dick, look for anything else she might have thrown out of the car while they were trying to turn it. They would probably put her in the back, and she would just have had a chance to throw out anything she had in her dressing gown pocket to let us know she was here if we came along this way. They searched for a long time. Timmy found one more thing, again embedded in a car rut, a boiled sweet wrapped in cellophane paper. Look, said Dick, picking it up. One of the sweets we all had the other night. George must have had one in her dressing gown pocket. If only she had had a pencil and a bit of paper, she might have had time to write a note too. That's an idea said Julian. We'll hunt even more carefully. But although they searched every bit of ground and every bush, there was no note to be found. It was too much to hope for. Let's just follow the car tracks and make sure they reach the road, said Julian. So they followed them down the wide woodland path. At the side, a little way along, a piece of paper blew in the wind hopping an inch or two each time the breeze flapped it. Dick picked it up and then looked at Julian excitedly. She did have time to write a note. This is her writing. But there's only one word. Look, whatever does it mean? Julian and Dick frowned over the piece of paper. Yes, it was George's writing. The G was exactly like the way she always wrote the big G at the beginning of her signature. Gringo, read Julian. Just that one word, gringo. What does it mean? It's something she heard them say, I suppose, and she just had time to write it and throw out the paper. Gringo. Timmy, what does gringo mean? Chapter 16 Joe Dick and Julian went back to Kirin Cottage with the two disconsolate dogs. They showed Anne the things they had found, and she too puzzled over the word gringo. We'll have to tell the police what you have discovered, she said. They might trace the car, and they might know who or what gringo is. I'll telephone them now, said Julian. Dick, you go down to the garage with this sketch of the tyre mark and see if it's an American design. The police were interested, but not helpful. The sergeant said he would send his constable up to examine the place where the car had stood in the clearing, and gave it as his opinion that the bit of paper wasn't much use, as the boys had found it some way from the turning place of the car. Your cousin wouldn't be able to throw it out of the window once the car was going, he said. There would be sure to be someone in the back with her. The only reason she could throw things out at the clearing would be because the second fellow, and there would certainly be two, 
would be guiding the other man in the turning of the car. The wind might have blown the note along the path, said Julian. Anyway, I've given you the information. It was a very miserable day. Although the sun shone down warmly and the sea was blue and most inviting. But nobody wanted to bathe. Nobody really wanted to do anything but talk and talk about George and what had happened and where she could be at that moment. Joanna came back in time to get their lunch and was pleased to find that Anne had done the potatoes and prepared a salad and that Dick had managed to pick some raspberries. They were very glad to see Joanna. She was someone sensible and comforting and matter-of-fact. Well, Jane is now safely in my cousin's cottage, she said. She was very miserable, but I told her she must smile and play about, else the neighbours would wonder about her. I put her into some of Joe's clothes. They fitted her all right. Hers are too expensive looking and would make people talk. They told Joanna what they had discovered in the clearing that morning. She took the note and looked at it. Gringo, she said. That's a funny word. Sounds like a traveller word to me. It's a pity Joe isn't here. She might tell us what it means. Did you see Joe? asked Dick. No, she was out shopping, said Joanna, lifting the lid to look at the potatoes. I only hope she gets on with Jane all right. Really, it's getting very difficult to remember that child's change of names. The only fresh news that day was a worried telephone call from Aunt Fanny. She was shocked and amazed at the news she had heard. Your uncle has collapsed, she said. He has been working very hard, you know, and now this news of George has been quite the last straw. He's very ill. I can't leave him at the moment. But anyway, we couldn't do anything. Only the police can help now. To think those horrible men took George by mistake. Don't worry too much, Aunt Fanny, said Julian. We've hidden Bertha away safely, and I expect the men will free George as soon as she tells them she's the wrong girl. If she does tell them, said Dick under his breath, she might not, for Bertha's sake, for a few days at any rate. Everyone went miserable to bed that night. Anne took Timmy and Sally with her, for both were so forlorn that she couldn't bear to do anything else. Timmy wouldn't eat anything at all, and Anne was worried about him. Julian could not go to sleep. He tossed and turned, thinking about George. Hot-tempered, courageous, impatient, independent George. He worried and worried about her, wishing he could do something. A small stone suddenly rattled against his window. He sat up, alert at once. Then something fell right into the room and rolled over the floor. Julian was at the window in a trice. Who was throwing pebbles at his window? He leaned out. A voice came up to him at once. Is it you, Dick? Joe, what are you doing here? said Julian, startled. It's Julian speaking. Dick's asleep. I'll wake him and let you in. But he did not need to go down and let Joe in. She was up a tree outside the window and across some ivy and on his windowsill before he had even shaken Dick awake. She slid into the room. 
Julian switched on his light. There was Jo, sitting at the end of Dick's bed, the familiar cheeky grin on her face. She was very brown, but still showed her freckles, and her hair was as short and curly as ever. I had to come, she said. When I got home from shopping, there was this girl, Jane. She told me all about how George had been captured in mistake for her, and when I said to her, you go straight away and say you're safe and sound and it's all a mistake and George has got to be set free. She wouldn't. She just wouldn't. All she did was to sit and cry, little coward. No, no, Joe, said Dick, and tried to explain everything to the indignant girl, but he could not convince her. If I was that girl, Jane, I wouldn't let someone stay kidnapped because of me, she said. I don't like her. She's silly. And I'm supposed to keep an eye on her. <laughs> Not me. I'd like her to be kidnapped, the way she's behaving about George. Julian looked at Joe. She was very, very loyal to the five and proud of being their friend. She had been in two adventures with them now, a crafty little traveller girl, but a very loyal friend. Her father was in prison and she was living with a cousin of Joanna's and, for the first time in her life, going to school to learn lessons. Listen, Joe, we've found out a few more things since Berta... I mean, Leslie... Oh, no, I don't... I mean, Jane... What do you mean? said Joe, puzzled. I mean, Jane, said Julian. we found out something else since Joanna parked Jane with her cousin this morning. Go on, tell me, said Joe. Have you found out where George is? I'll go and break in and get her out if you have. <sighs> oh, Joe, it's no use just being fierce, said Dick. Things are not so easy as all that. George threw out a bit of paper with this written on it, said Julian, and he put it before Joe. See, just that one word, gringo. Does it mean anything to you? Gringo, said Joe. That rings a bell. Let's see now. Gringo. She frowned as she thought hard. Then she nodded. Oh, yes. I remember now. A fair came to the town a few weeks back. The big town not far from our village. It was called Gringo's Great Fair. Where did it go? asked Dick eagerly. It was going to Fallonwick, then to Granton, said Joe. I made friends with the boy whose father owned the roundabout and, gosh, I had about a hundred free rides. You would, said both boys together, and Joe grinned. Do you suppose this gringo who runs the fair could be anything to do with the name gringo that George wrote on this paper, said Julian. I don't know, said Joe. But if you like, I can go and find the fair and get hold of Spikey. That's the roundabout boy and see if I can find out anything. I know Spikey said Gringo was a real horror to work for and thought himself as good as a lord. Had he a car? A big car? asked Dick suddenly. I don't know that either, said Joe. I can find out. Here, I'll go now. You lend me a bike and I'll bike to Granton. Certainly not said Julian, startled at the idea of Joe biking the twelve miles to Granton in the middle of the night. All right, said Joe, rather sulkily.
I just thought you'd like me to help. It might be that this gringo has got George somewhere. He was the kind of fellow who was a go-between, if you know what I mean. How? asked Dick. Well, Spikey said that if anyone wanted something dirty done, this gringo just held out his hand, and if a wad of notes was put into it, he'd do it and nothing said, said Joe. I see, said Julian. Hmm, it sounds as if kidnapping would be right up his street then. Joe laughed scornfully. That would be nothing to him, chicken feed. Come on, Julian, let me have a lend of your bike. No, said Julian. Thanks very, very much, but I'm not letting anyone ride to a fair in the middle of the night to find out if a fellow called Gringo has anything to do with George. I can't believe he has either. It's too far-fetched. All right, but you asked me if the name meant anything to me, said Joe, sounding offended. Anyway, it's a common enough nickname in the circus world, and the fair world too. There's probably a thousand gringos about. It's time you went back home, said Julian, looking at his watch. And be decent to Bertha, I, I mean Jane. Please, Joe, you can come over tomorrow to see if there's any more news. How did you get here tonight, by the way? Walked, said Joe. Well, ran, I mean. Not by the roads, though. They take too long. I go like the birds do, as straight as I can, and it's much shorter. Dick had a sudden picture of the valiant little Joe speeding through woods and fields, over hills and through valleys, as straight as a crow flying homewards. How did she find her way like that? He knew he would never be able to. Joe slipped out over the windowsill and down the tree as easily as a cat. Bye, she said. See you soon. Give our love to Jane, whispered Dick. Shan't, said Joe, much too loudly, and disappeared. Julian switched out the light. Phew, he said. I always feel as if I've been blown about by a strong, fresh wind when I see Joe. What a girl. Fancy wanting to ride all the way to Granton tonight, after running all the way here from Berta's. Yes, I'm jolly glad you wouldn't let her take your bike, said Dick. It's a good thing she wouldn't dare to disobey you. He got into bed, and just at that very moment... The two boys heard a loud ringing noise. Dick sat up straight away. Well, I'm blowed, he said. The little wretch! What's up? said Julian. And then he too realised what the ringing was. A bicycle bell. Yes, a bell rung loudly and defiantly by someone cycling swiftly along the sea road towards Granton. It's... Joe, said Dick, and she's taken my bike. I know it's Belle. Gosh, won't I rub her face in the mud when I get hold of her. Julian gave a loud guffaw. She's a monkey, a gallant, plucky, loyal, aggravating monkey. What a cheek she's got. She didn't dare to take my bike when I'd said no, so she took yours. Well, we can't do a thing about it now. What that roundabout boy is going to think when he's woken in the middle of the night by Joe, I cannot imagine. 
He's probably used to her, said Dick. Well, let's go to sleep. I wonder if George is asleep or awake. I hate to think of her a prisoner somewhere. I bet Timmy hates it more than we do, said Julian, hearing a long-drawn whimper from the next room. Poor old Tim. He can't go to sleep either. Dick and Julian managed to go to sleep at last, both thinking of a speedy little figure on a bicycle racing through the night to ask questions of a roundabout boy called Spikey. Chapter 17 To Gringo's Fair At half past seven next morning, Joanna came running upstairs to Julian's bedroom, a piece of paper in her hand. She knocked on the door. Julian, a dirty little note was on the front doormat when I got down this morning. It's folded over with your name on the outside. Julian was out of bed in a trice. A note from the kidnappers, perhaps? No, it couldn't be. They wouldn't write to him. It was from Joe. She had scribbled it so badly that Julian could hardly read it. Julian, I saw Spikey. He's coming to the beach at eleven. I took Dick's bike to go home on. I will bring it back at eleven. Don't be too cross, Joe. Little scallywag, said Dick. I hope she hasn't damaged my bike in any way. Joe hadn't. She had actually managed to find time to clean it before she left home and arrived with it so bright and gleaming that Dick hadn't the heart to scold her. She was early, so she came to the house instead of the beach. She rode through the gate and up the front path and Timmy ran to greet her with a volley of delighted barks. He liked Joe. In fact, he really loved the little girl. She certainly had a way with animals. Sally followed, dancing on her tiptoes as usual, ready to welcome as a friend anyone that Timmy liked. Dick hailed Joe from the front door as she came up. Hello, bicycle stealer. My word, what's happened to my bike? Have you spring cleaned it? Joe grinned, looking at Dick warily. Yes. I'm sorry I took it, Dick. You're not a bit sorry, but I'll forgive you, said Dick, grinning too. So, you got to the fair safely after all. Oh, yes, and I woke up Spikey. He wasn't half surprised, said Joe. But his pa was sleeping in the same caravan as he was, so I couldn't say much. I just told him to be on Kirin Beach at eleven. Then I rode back home. I ought to have left your bike on the way back but I was a bit tired, so I rode home instead of walking. You can't have had much sleep last night, said Julian, looking at the sunburnt girl with her untidy curly hair. Hello, who's that? A short, plump boy was hurrying past the gate. He had a mop of black hair which stuck up into curious spikes of hair at the crown. Oh, that's Spiky, said Joe. He's on time, isn't he? He's called Spikey because of his hair. You won't believe it, but he spends a fortune on hair oil trying to make those spiky bits go flat. But they won't. She called loudly. Spikey! Hey! Spikey! Spikey turned at once. He had a pleasant, rather lopsided face and eyes as black as currants. He stood staring at Joe and the boys. I'm just off to the beach, he said. Right! We're coming too, said Joe, 
and she and the boys went to join him. They met the ice cream man on the way, and Julian bought an ice cream for each of them. Cool, thanks, said Spikey, pleased. He was rather shy of Dick and Julian, and wondered very much why he had been asked to come. They sat down on the beach. I wasn't half scared when you came tapping at the window last night, he said to Joe, licking his ice cream with a very pink tongue. What's it all about? Well, said Julian cautiously, we're interested in somebody called Gringo. Oh, Gringo, said Spikey. A lot of people are interested in Gringo. Do you know what we say at the fair? We say Gringo ought to put up a notice. All dirty work done here. He's a bad lot, Gringo is, but he pays us well, even if he makes us work like slaves. He owns the fair, doesn't he? said Julian, and Spikey nodded. I expect he uses it as a cover for all his other bigger jobs, Julian said to Dick. He looked at the plump, black-eyed boy, wondering how far he could trust him. Joe saw the look and knew what it meant. He's all right, she said, nodding towards Spikey. You can say what you like. He's an oyster, he is, aren't you, Spikey? Spikey grinned his lopsided grin. Julian decided to trust him, and speaking in a low voice that really thrilled Spikey, he told him about the kidnapping of George. Spikey's eyes nearly fell out of his head. Cool, he said. I bet old Gringo's at the bottom of that. Last week he went off up to London. He told my pa he was on to a big job. An American job, he said it was. Yes, it sounds as if it all fits, said Julian. Spikey, this kidnapping occurred the night before last. Did anything unusual occur in the fair camp, do you know? It must have happened in the middle of the night. Spikey considered. He shook his head. No, I don't think so. Gringo's big double caravan is still there, so he can't have gone. He had it moved right away from the camp yesterday morning, said there was too much noise for his old ma, who lives in his posh caravan and looks after him. We was all glad it was moved. Now he can't spy on us so easily. End of disc three.